In the mornings here over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Exodus, uh, and we've been seeing how God has set his uh, people free from captivity and slavery in Egypt to go out and be a light to the world, basically. And uh, we want to think about how we are called to be an influence uh, in in our relationships and our environments that we find ourselves. Uh, And so uh, we're we're in the book of Exodus, and there's there's a lot to see in there. the book of Exodus, it serves a number of, of, of purposes, really, uh, just by background, in the story of God's great uh, unfolding salvation plans for the world. It, uh, it's a book of history. It's a book of history. It tells part of the story of God's dealing with his people as he unfolds uh, his salvation plans for humanity. It's a book of theology. It teaches on such things as sin and sacrifice, covenant and redemption, worship and morality. And the book of Exodus is a book of types or foreshadows. It's kind of like pointing us towards a bigger and better. And points us forward to what God will ultimately do, not just for one nation, but for all people. So Israel, in the book of Exodus, Israel represents the church. Slavery in Egypt represents sin and death. Release speaks of resurrection. Moses is a type of Jesus, the Messiah. And the promised land represents paradise. So there's lots of good reasons for reading the book of Exodus. Uh, So briefly, let me just set out where we are in the story. Before we get into our Bible reading and and, and into the story there, let me just set out the scene where we've been until we pick up that story in our reading. So for over 400 years uh, in captivity, the Israelites in captivity for 400 years under uh, Pharaoh as slaves in Egypt. Uh, and then God sends the plagues, and we, we, Gareth taught us about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then uh, Pharaoh had finally agreed to let the people go. Uh, and Pharaoh had let them go. Then he had kind of, once they got down the road a bit, he kind of reneged. And he thought, oh, well, all our laborers have gone. Uh, and we need to get those people back. So he went after them with his army, best army in the world at the time, to try and bring them back into captivity, into slavery in Egypt. And most commentators would suggest that from the the region of Goshen where the Israelites had left in Egypt, uh, where they'd set out from and where they are now on the banks of the Red Sea, that was a walk of a few days. So the entire Israelite nation is now standing there on the banks of the Red Sea. The sea is in front of them and Pharaoh's mighty army is fast closing in behind. This is perhaps a a pretty well-known story, but there's lots in here. When I started to read it again, there's quite a few things in here that struck me for the first time. So let's be listening up for what those might be and for what God wants to share with us today. But humanly speaking, for the Israelites, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Things are not looking good for them. There is panic amongst the nation, and that's where we pick up our story. So if you would like to pick up a Bible and one of our shiny new Bibles that we launched last week and turn to page 71. Uh, We're reading from Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13, and you can find that on page 71 of our church Bible. Reading from Exodus 14 and verse 13 to the end of the chapter. And this is the story. So the Israelites are there, they're panicking on the banks of the The Red Sea, the army behind them. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. 
Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go on, go in after them. And I will gain, vic- gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went round behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front, in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He he jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Amen. Amen. So there's still some debate amongst scholars about the exact route that the Israelites may have taken on their journey from Goshen in Egypt to the Promised Land in Cana or uh, where they may have actually crossed the Red Sea. Uh, But just to give us some idea, I have uh, here a map which uh, is fairly representative of uh, the route that most scholars would kind of generally agree they probably took. And so in those days, few days that had taken to go from Goshen to the banks of the Red Sea, uh, looks like they would have crossed it where it was, it was certainly was deep and wide enough to engulf an army, but it would have been not the widest point uh, of the sea, but up near the northern end of it. But in those days that the Israelites had been walking towards there, they, they had time to, to contemplate recent events. They had time to think a little about the plagues and how Egypt was devastated by them while they had been left unharmed. They have time to reflect on God, how he had instructed the angel of death to pass over them when he saw the blood of the lamb on their door frames, when he had been passing through Egypt, killing the firstborn. They have time to breathe fresh air of freedom, to see new horizons, to marvel at a world with no pyramids and no slave drivers. And their feet moving one step at a time, 
led by the Lord in the pillar of cloud and fire toward the land that God had promised his people from way back in the time of Abraham. They've been delivered up out of Egypt from captivity to slavery, but now they stand faced by another, another difficult, no, no seemingly impossible-looking set of circumstances. But Moses assures them, verse 14, you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You see, this whole chapter, in fact, the whole Bible, is one big story of deliverance. Deliverance. And the Israelites are a picture of us. And just like the Israelites, we need deliverance. You see, right back at the start in in, in Genesis, when when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God in the Garden of Eden, sin and death entered the world. And since then, all humanity has been trapped in that land of sin and death. And we experience it all around us. We suffer from the consequence of sin, of all that is wrong in the, in the world. And in our fallen human nature, we are trapped really awaiting death, which, just like Pharaoh's army, is fast closing in upon us. And yet, and yet just like with the Israelites, God offers us something else, something better, something far better. You see, the Israelites were offered a land, they were offered freedom from captivity and slavery into a land flowing with milk and honey. In the gospel, we are offered deliverance from sin and death. We are offered forgiveness, new life, life in all its fullness, and a place in a city where there is no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning. You see, left to our own devices, we're trapped in a land of sin and death, but God, in his mercy, in his grace, in his amazing grace, he wants to bring us instead to a city, a city of blessing and joy and life everlasting. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just like the Israelites, we can't do it ourselves. Just like the Israelites, we too need deliverance. And so let's just look for a moment at what, uh, what deliverance looks like. What does it look like to be delivered? Let me use a parcel or a letter as an illustration. So you've probably heard of Boris Johnson, yeah? Okay, fairly safe bet. You probably have, yeah? So anyway, whenever Boris Johnson became Prime Minister a few short months ago, uh, I really felt the Lord was telling me, send him a Bible. Send him a Bible. So I went down to the the Faith Mission bookshop uh, and I bought a nice leather-bound men's devotional Bible. And uh, I put it into one of those bubble, bubble wrap envelopes. And I went to, along to a local post office. And I went up to the counter and I said, I'd like to post this parcel first class, please. And the nice man in there uh, uh, said to me, put it on the scales. So I put it on the scales and he weighed it. Uh, and then he started to fill a little docket. And he said to me, what is it? And I said, it's a Bible. And he looked at the address on the parcel. And he said, so do you think Boris Johnson needs a Bible? And I said, well, yes, just like all the rest of us, Boris Johnson needs a Bible. And I don't know if he's got one or not, but if he hasn't, he's got one on its way. And then he looked up at me as he continued filling out the docket and he said, how much is it worth? And I said to him, well, now, well, now. If you're asking me how much did I pay for it, 
I paid 30 quid for it. But if you're asking me how much it's worth, it's priceless. It's priceless. But here's the thing. Even something as priceless as a Bible couldn't get from Belfast to Boris without it being delivered. And obviously, Royal Mail did their job for a few days later. I received a letter from 10 Downing Street and uh, thanking me for the Bible. And uh, it had obviously was delivered to me. And just in case I wasn't sure who had delivered it, it said, delivered by Royal Mail. And then over here, it also says, delivered by Royal Mail, just to be sure to be sure. <laughs> My parcel got to its destination. But here's the question. What part did that parcel play in getting to its destination? This letter got to its destination. But what part did this letter play in getting to me? Absolutely none. I think none. Because neither the parcel nor the letter played any part in their deliverance because somebody had to deliver them. Without somebody delivering them, my parcel would still be sitting in a post office in Castlereagh. And this letter would still be sitting on a desk in London. They needed a deliverer. So did the Israelites. And so do we. Just like the parcel or a letter. We're not capable of getting ourselves from from where we are to where we need to be. We're incapable of getting ourselves from Egypt to Canaan. From sin and death to freedom and life. From earth to heaven. We need to be delivered and we can't do it ourselves. But praise God for we have, we have a wonderful deliverer. Just like the Israelites, we have a wonderful miracle working deliverer. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus and deliverance is his thing. You see, if you have trusted in Jesus for forgiveness, if you have trusted him to deliver you from the consequence of sin and death, then you are a delivered person. You have been set free. You have been delivered into freedom and into life. And you're on your way to the promised land, on your way to paradise. So this is my first point. As believers, by his amazing grace, we have been delivered from sin and death to freedom and life. So here in this passage, the Israelites, they they, they are delivered out of bondage. They've been delivered and and they are free. They are free at this stage. It's not something they're continuing to work towards. No, they've been delivered by God's hand, you see, not their own. And they stand free. And that's what we need to remember because as people who either have not yet allowed God to set us free or as as people who are living as though we we are still captive, we will have no influence no positive influence, no godly influence on anything or anyone. But when we are free, when we start to live like we are free, well, that starts to become very attractive. In that stance of freedom, we start to shine, we start to influence society around us for God. Because who doesn't want real life? Who doesn't want real freedom? And you see, sometimes after having trusted God for our deliverance from sin and death, we we forget to continue trusting him for deliverance from whatever situation or circumstances may presently be troubling us. Figuratively speaking, maybe today you feel like you've got a red sea raging in front of you and an angry army closing in behind. 
perhaps concerns about health or relationships, about children or grandchildren or parents, concerns about employment or finances or any aspect of the present or the future. If we haven't got those concerns today, well, we probably will before too long. But here's another thing we want to remember about the Israelites. They have been led to that place where they now stand, not by coincidental wandering, but by God himself. God is sovereign. God is in control. God had led them there. And you know what? He fully intends to show his grace and his power as he leads them on from there. But what was the Israelites' first response to their situation? Is it to trust in the one who set them free from Egypt? No. No, it wasn't. Verse 10 says they were terrified. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord, not in faith, but in fear. And you see, they had all experienced God's deliverance from, from captivity, but they, they weren't trusting him from delivery through their current circumstances. And, and how easily we can fall into that sort of position, that sort of thinking as well. But here's what we need to see. Verse 19, it tells us that the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, he withdrew and he went behind them. The angel of God here in this picture is the pre-incarnate Jesus. The angel of God is the Lord Jesus. And where is he standing? Yes, he's standing between the Israelites and the Egyptians. He's going to fight their battle for them. He has already delivered them from captivity and he's going to deliver them again. You see, this time not from, but through. Not from, but through their current circumstances. That's what he did with the Israelites and that's what he does with us as well. That's my second point. By grace, we are being delivered through our current circumstances. God doesn't always deliver us up out of our circumstances. Sometimes he does. But if he doesn't deliver us out, he will deliver us through. And look at how he did it. Verse 21. God parted the sea with the the wind that's representing the Holy Spirit in front of the Israelites. And he fought the Egyptians in the form of the Christ character behind the Israelites. In their seemingly impossible situation, you see the Father was above directing operations. The Spirit was before them driving back the sea. And the Son was behind them fighting off the enemy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved in their deliverance. And so it is with us as well. We need to remember, you see, at the cross on that first Good Friday, Jesus the Son stood between us sinful people and the deserved wrath of the Father, a holy God. Jesus stood there, hung there, in our place taking the punishment that we deserved. And he went down into the tomb. He fought the battle with Satan. The Holy Spirit raised him back up to life again. And his walking out of that tomb on that first glorious Easter Sunday showed the world that death is defeated. Death is dead. His coming up out of the tomb on that first Easter day, in doing that, Jesus splits the sea so we can walk right through it. His coming up out of the tomb, in that he starts a whole new exodus leading his people from death to life. And his walking out of that tomb on that first Easter day absolutely guarantees our deliverance through any and every circumstance that we may ever face in life. 
And when we let that wonderful truth really sink in, then we will walk and we will talk and we will live like graced people who have been set free, who have been delivered from death and are on our way to the promised land. And that sort of life, that sort of life would have a real influence on our relationships and on our environment, wouldn't it? But you see, so often we don't. So often we don't walk and talk and live like that. We let the things of Egypt, the things of of the world weigh us down and hold us back. We let our circumstances weigh us down and hold us back, frighten us. But if we have had the faith that the Lord has brought us up out of Egypt, why can't we have the faith that he can safely carry us through the journey's end? How quickly we forget who guards us day and night. Who it is that has surrounded us with his presence, his protection, his amazing grace. Look what the Israelites did when they were seemingly, uh, when they were surrounded by what looked like an impossible situation. Verse 10 says they were terrified. Their circumstances terrified them. And maybe you're in a situation or circumstances today that are concerning you, that are frightening you, that are terrifying you. What can we learn from, from Moses' approach to this? Look, well, Moses, who is tuned in to God, he has some words of wisdom for them and, and I believe for us as well. First of all, when we find ourselves in new circumstances, Moses instructs, verse 13, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, the most common used phrase in the whole Bible. Apparently 365 times, one for every day of the year. God knows how easily afraid we are and he wants to remind us every day. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so how then will we overcome these difficulties that uh, that look as though they're going to overwhelm us? Verse 13 and 14, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Be still. Be still. You see, all that has been done for us up to this point has been done without our help. Be still and see the salvation which the Lord will accomplish for us. But I want to suggest that being still means that we be still in prayer. Be still in prayer. That must be our first response. Be still before the Lord in prayer. Seems like that was the Israelites' wisest option. They had other alternatives, of course they had. But taking any of those would have quickly led to disaster. They could have gone north and would have come to the rocky mountains, the rocky crags there in the mountains and been stuck and the enemy would have easily caught up. They could have gone south, but they would have been going back into enemy territory. And they could have turned to fight, but all would quickly have been lost. The Israelites were a product of generations of people who had been trained to make mud bricks, not to fight the best army in the world. You see, yes, just like with the Israelites, there will definitely and certainly be a time to move on to the destination and in the direction in which the Lord leads us. But it looks like the best first response to any attack is to be still in prayer before the Lord. And if we are being still, how will we achieve the victory? Same way as the Israelites. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. Here's the third and final wonderful truth for us for today. Our deliverer is with us, fighting our battles and giving us the victory. 
You see, we, we may feel at times encompassed on every side with seemingly insurmountable difficulties, but the one who set us free is with us. And you see, folks, this is not a picture here of a gentle Jesus making miles. Sure, it's not. No, this is a picture of the awesome, risen Lion of Judah, roaring with power, fighting our battles, victorious, unstoppable. Unstoppable. And notice here all the while where we are to keep our focus. The Israelites are told what they will see and they are told what they will not see. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. But the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. In order to enjoy the deliverance, they needed to take their eyes off the problem, off the enemy, and put them on the deliverer. In order to see the Lord's deliverance, they need to be looking unto him. Then they would see the deliverance that he would bring. And they would not see again the enemy. And so it was, just as it tells us in verse 25. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And verse 30, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. Folks, just as I finish, the great miracle working deliverer is with us. So when we face challenges in life, we focus not on the size of the problem, but on the size of our God. We focus not on the size of our problem, but on the size of our God. In all the ups and downs of life, out there, let's keep our focus on Jesus. And as we go then with our eyes fixed firmly on him, living as people who have been delivered from sin and death, living as people who are now being delivered through whatever circumstances life may throw at us, we will have more than a miracle. We will have the miracle-working deliverer, King Jesus, ever with us fighting our battles and leading us onward into our promised land. And as we live like that, that kind of faith and life will influence every relationship, every environment in which we find ourselves. That kind of faith, that kind of life, it will point others in our families, our communities, our city, our nation to him, to the one who comes to set the captives free, the one who splits the sea, the one who gives the victory the one who delivers. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let's pray. Perhaps you're here today and figuratively speaking, you're still in Egypt. Perhaps you haven't yet allowed the Lord to lead you out of that place. If that's the case, well, there is nothing in Egypt for you. Just captivity, slavery, pain, and death. But God is with us by his spirit, by his word. And he has better plans for you. Better plans by far. Plans to bring you out of there to lead you from slavery to freedom, from death to life, from Egypt to the promised land. And he's calling you today to take that step of faith.
take that step out of captivity and into freedom following him. You can do that here this morning. You can do that now as we pray. Or maybe you're here today and you've put your trust in Jesus in his death and resurrection to deliver you from sin and death, to deliver you from Egypt, but today you feel like you're standing on the banks of the Red Sea. The sea is raging in front of you and the enemy's army is closing in behind you. Well, be assured, your heavenly Father sees and knows. His word for you today is, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. The Son is with you. He's fighting your battles. And the Spirit is ahead of you, working upstream, clearing the way for you. And in the fullness of His perfect timing, the Lord will lead you through your difficult circumstances. You will see the deliverance that He will bring you and you will see the enemies no more. Let's just take a moment in the silence to respond to God, however he leads us in our hearts. Father, we thank you for your promises to your people, to us, to your children. Please help us to respond to you as you would lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.